0: What do you think the most devastating impact of living through COVID has been?
1: Well, they vary. They really do. Um, one of the big issues that has uh, is upset a lot of people has been the, um, all the times where you, you see somebody that you love, and they're coming through the door, and you start walking toward them to give them a hug, and their hands go up in front. Mm. No, 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 don't touch. And see, people are been isolated now. Touching is so vital as a part of our life as humans. It has an impact upon you um, physically. It has an impact upon you emotionally. And it's, it's almost like we're developing uh, a population
2: of paranoia.
3: At a stop sign, watching people drive by, on the radio. So much on your mind. Nothing's really going right. Looking for. A
0: Good afternoon, friends, Rita and Richard here, and today we're gonna delve into the minds of those who struggle with clinical depression. And I'm excited to welcome a colleague and a person I've learned so much from personally, as I've listened to him speak and read his work through the years, Dr. Gary Sipsey. He's a professor of counselor education and supervision and a licensed clinical psychologist who's educated, trained and supervised counselors for over 15 years. Dr. Sipsy has a broad range of research and clinical interests, including the assessment and treatment of childhood disorders, anxiety, trauma disorders, and personality disorders. He also has an interest in the integration of religious beliefs in clinical practice. His current research interests focus on developing and disseminating empirically supported treatments for both children and adults. Dr. Sipsy writes, speaks, and consults nationally and internationally And we're honored to have him on the show today to educate us on depression.
2: Yes, Rita. And, you know, last week we had Dr. Norm Wright, and uh, he gave a great uh, explanation on how to overcome uh, the pandemic. And um, we had him at the very top of the show uh, today because I wanted to uh, just just remember what uh, Norm Wright had to say uh, as far as... uh, where we're at as far as touching and and uh and that we are we are uh conditioned ourselves to paranoia and that was uh that was quite uh quite a statement uh we're going to have more on from dr norm Wright in the coming weeks uh, about uh, overcoming the pandemic and uh but we just felt this show was important enough to talk about uh, about depression and ways uh, that people can deal with depression, and there's many different ways, uh, but also getting out of that rut uh, and uh, getting motivated and forcing yourself to get motivated, and uh, uh, this is uh, this is one of those conversations that I think is going to help a lot of people.
0: Okay, Gary, welcome to Mind Matters.
1: Good to be here, Rita. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So we all know that this has been an unprecedented time in our world with the pandemic, and we also know that anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, and suicide uh, has skyrocketed. And it's such an important topic, depression, because an estimated 21 million adults in the United States have had at least one depressive episode. So... For someone listening out there that feels down, thinks they might be depressed, um, doesn't feel motivated, what are some of the symptoms of clinical depression?
1: Well, that's a great question, right? Because there's plenty of stress that we all run into and, you know, stress can affect your mood and your motivation and your energy. Um... But the key to knowing if you're really depressed is that you've got sad mood uh, and that can come in different forms. It can be irritability for adolescents, but sad mood every day and it lasts nearly the whole day. So sometimes people feel sad and down when they get up in the morning and it lasts an hour or so and then it kind of goes away. But true depression lasts pretty much the whole day, every day, continuously for at least a couple of weeks. And or, most of the time these go together, but not always, uh, a loss of motivation and and a sense of pleasure. Again, it's all day, not sporadically for the last couple of months, but it's kind of an everyday, all day kind of thing. So that's a big one. Yeah, you got to have one of those two symptoms. And then there's a host of other symptoms that go with it. But they, again, the key is that they're there every day. Mm -hmm. Loss of energy, loss of appetite, uh, problems with concentration, problems with your sleep, uh, feeling pretty badly about yourself. You know, your your self-esteem just drops. Okay, Uh, And, you know, a lot of times people begin to have um, suicide thoughts and it doesn't mean that they're suicidal, but they have thoughts of. You know, I'd be better off if I wasn't here, or you know, nobody would miss me, or other people would be better off without me. And you know, uh, just this basic sense of sluggishness. Now, you don't have to have all those symptoms. You really only need five, and one of those five has to be depressed mood or loss of pleasure. So, if you've got that cooking, it's been around for at least a couple weeks continuously. You're probably depressed.
0: And you should seek some type of help.
1: Absolutely. And what's, what's really important is that depression is not like the common cold. It doesn't just go away. Uh, and, you know, if you don't treat it, um, sometimes it'll go away within a year. But an untreated depression has a very high chance of relapse. Um so the chances are really high that you'll get depressed within another year. And every time you get depressed, it's going to last longer and be harder to treat.
0: So what sets folks up biologically? I mean, we, we've heard, you know, that early childhood adversity, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of studies out on that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Does that set someone up for a greater risk if they've had a trauma in the past or abuse or whatever in the
1: background? It certainly can. I mean, usually it's this combination of genetic risk um, and it doesn't have to just be depression. It could be depression or anxiety in your family. Uh, A genetic risk plus any adversity, you know, so there's a adversity uh, checklist that we give people. It's got 10 or 12 different kinds of adverse events that you can experience in childhood from abuse to a loss of a parent or growing up an alcoholic, raging home, that kind of thing. Uh, And those increase the risk a great deal. So that combination of genetics, combination of adversity. And then what happens is that creates a general risk. And then usually your life has some big stressor. So for the initial depressive episode, Usually, there's a, a pretty clear cut stressor. You know, typically it's going to be some big life transition, loss of job, divorce,
0: death, uh, some sort. Money
1: dies, l- loss, or relationship conflicts. Those are the three biggies mm-hmm. that will trigger it. And then once it takes off, then depression has its own life. Right? It may not. It may no longer be tied to the. The event that actually triggered it, it has its own life and it creates its own sort of wake of destruction.
0: So, when you say genetics, for folks that may not know, you're talking about, say, if mom was depressed, if dad had an anxiety disorder. So, we want to look back into a person's uh, family of origin and see Mm -hmm. if there's some genetic links there, which would make this person more susceptible to having the disorder. yeah
1: and then on top of that or sometimes they may not but they may have this is a risk and it's still genetic is what we call a emotionally reactive temperament Mm -hmm. right and you know it's not like you choose to have that as a temperament but some people you know it's kind of uh some people have a really high pain tolerance (laughs) some people really low when you're highly emotionally reactive you tend to have a a pretty low um, amount of frustration tolerance and things can overwhelm you pretty quickly and you get anxious and sort of stressed out more easily than other people. And you may not understand why, but that's usually temperament based.
0: Hmm. So, uh I told you before, I really liked, uh, you know, the webinar you did for AACC on this. And in that, you talk about a depressive loop. And I think that's what you were referring to a minute ago. Like depression takes this uh, whole uh, life of its own on. Right. A little bit about that for people, because I think that's so helpful to know, like, Okay, I had somebody this morning tell me I just have zero motivation. I don't want to do anything, nothing, you know, I'm not excited, you know, about anything and very confused. Why am I like this? Why do I feel like this? And
1: yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So. So once a depression starts, right, you got the genetic risk and life adversity, but it comes to a head, you have some stressor and next thing you know, you're feeling depressed. Uh, and so once people get depressed, their brain does make chemical changes and it turns off the production of chemicals like serotonin and norepinephrine Mm -hmm. and dopamine. Now these chemicals are responsible for regulating motivation, energy, pleasure, and mood. So what happens? A person notices that they no longer feel good. And. So that's step one. It's not actually depression yet. If, if a person feels that way, it doesn't necessarily mean they're depressed. But a depressive response is when they then get into an avoidance pattern of behavior. In other words, they stop doing the things that give them a sense of meaning, a sense of mastery, a sense of pleasure and connectedness. In other words, they actually stop engaging the world of valued behaviors, So their world becomes really narrow. Starts to narrow down. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to that link between values and biology. But when you stop doing the things that are meaningful to you, right, because you don't feel like it. And, and people interpret that feeling to mean I don't want to do it anymore. Okay, which we'll talk about that, too. But then when they stop doing that, the brain reacts by saying, hey, look, if you're not going to do these things, I'm not going to give you the energy and motivation you need to do it. Why? Why provide you the chemistry to act if you're not going to?
0: So it's a lot about chemistry
1: then. Yeah, the chemistry interacts with this. So the more you don't do, the less you feel like doing. Mm. And now that creates the loop. So the less you do, the less you want to do, the less you want to do, the less you do. And interestingly, there's a lot of secondary negative effects to that, right? It creates a whole new set of st- stressful life events. If you stop doing the things that you need to do, you don't know, return your emails or phone calls and you withdraw from people and, you know, you.
0: Huge um, loss of connection.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so then you can create new stressors. And what's really important to realize is that when people get into that avoidance pattern of behavior, they tend to turn their attention inside their head and get sucked into a pattern of rumination. Where just like you were saying a few seconds ago, where this person's telling you, why do I feel like this? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Why do I why can't I concentrate? Or why can't I be motivated? And what's what's wrong with me? And it goes around and around. And that pattern of rumination, they get stuck on.
0: Well, too. And I think they begin to build a story around that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They get stuck in that loop. And then, they're, you know, if they have past life events, you know, that was that story they were kind of stuck in. And now, you know, their whole life becomes building this story around the fact that I'm miserable or that I'm, you know, something's wrong with me or I'm not happy, whatever it may be.
1: That's exactly it. That. That rumination cycle, once you get stuck in there, simply looks for, attends to, and it just sort of gathers all the negative information about yourself and the way you feel, and then you start to feel hopeless mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and helpless, which only furthers this pattern. Uh, so
0: now, the other thing that that I notice too with folks is is that they they don't they believe that if they feel a bad emotion. Like if I feel sadness, right, then that means that something's wrong with me. So it's like I want to help people to understand that it's okay to accept a full range of emotions that, of course, we all want to hit the delete button on the bad things in our lives or the bad emotions. We don't want to feel them. But really, it's about accepting the totalitarianness of the emotion and realizing that, like you said a, a while back, Hey, things are going to shift now. If I'm clinically depressed, they may not shift because I'm stuck in that loop, right?
1: Well, but you raised, I think, a really good risk factor that's part of that personality stuff that we talked about. And we call that experiential avoidance, Mm. right? So people who are experientially avoidant tend to not—they don't like negative feelings. Mm -hmm. They—they kind of have a hidden belief that they should be able to control all their internal experiences. And so they shouldn't get thoughts or feelings or images or memories in their mind that they don't want. And so when they get them, they start trying to push them out. Right. Not realizing that when you try to push these things out, they only get worse. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. And I, and I always tell people, you know, your freedom and rest doesn't reside on the fact that you're never going to have a bad thought or that you're going to be totally freed from this. That's not reality. That's not life. And so accepting those things, you know, trying not to take, you know, get hooked by them, but realizing that, you know,
1: it's it's part of life. It's the nature of the fall. Absolutely. And so now, now one of the other things, it's a very unique kind of depressive thought for people who are in there. So you get the rumination, which is a... It's not about the specific thoughts you have. It's the way that you're thinking. Yeah. And I a lot of times try to, you know, educate people that rumination is a behavior, mm-hmm. it's something that you're doing. It's, it's where your attention goes and where your attention goes is where your brain goes. So if you start attending to all this stuff, then your brain's going to think that's what you want. It's kind of like your Google feed right? If you start typing into Google, why am I depressed? Then it's going to bring up all these stories about that. But, but also next time you get on Google, <laughs> you're going to find stories about
2: Everything depression makes- and
1: why people depressed are depressed. And- the brain works exactly the same way. The other thing is that people, when they get depressed, think that they have to feel motivated before they can take action. Now, before they got depressed, they didn't believe that. And a lot of times I'll help people go explore like, okay, so when you were a kid, every morning you woke up and said, Woo, man, I can't wait to get to school today. (laughs) Uh, Or, man, I was so excited about studying for that math test and spelling test last night. And they realized that, well, no, nobody feels like doing things that they value that they need to do, but they can still do it. But when people get depressed, they come to believe I can't do it. And that sidelines them and that keeps them in the loop. Uh, so it's one of the key depressive thoughts that we try to help them break out of. And,
2: and I, you know, I never got excited about doing homework either. So, um, no, was,
1: I get uh, that. That's <laughs>
0: great. Okay. So,
2: Well, that's all we have time for right now. Uh, That's a great, uh, great way of ending uh, this uh, as far as, uh, but I I wonder if you are going to do some homework before next week and and maybe uh, try some of these things that Gary had uh, talked about and Rita did. And uh, I hope so. Uh, But uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview for next week. And uh, maybe you can study up on that. And uh, we'll meet back here next week at noon on Sunday. Monday. Um, the second part, uh, we're going to be talking about depression and uh, also um, ways out of uh, depression. And, and it sounds like as we were going before, uh, Gary, with uh, we were talking about uh, you almost have to force yourself to, uh, uh, to get motivated again, don't you?
1: Yeah. Well, and what we usually try to do is help people we practice the fifteen-minute rule, right? Because, like, if you feel really tired and worn out, and you feel like you just don't have the energy to to put one foot in front of the other, sometimes patients will think, you know, I, I'm I'm I, I'm physically ill. I can't do this, even though my doctor tells me that I'm that I'm not. And so we say, well, let's let's try an experiment, right? So, if you Engage in some physical activity, like just going for a walk or, you know, doing something that has some physical requirements to it. It doesn't have to be heavy, but physical. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: At the end of 15 minutes, if you're actually physically ill, you're going to feel horrible, okay? And you're going to feel like I'm totally wiped out. But if you're depressed, you'll notice that your energy is going up. Your energy starts to improve. Um,
0: that's really true. And I can attest to that personally, because after Mike, um, took his life, you know, my journey eight years ago, I can remember getting in those spaces. I mean, I was, you know, not functioning real well for the first, uh, several months. Um, but when I would get into those spaces of post-traumatic, you know, stress with the trauma mm-hmm. and I would go into the collapse thing, um, my kids or my friends would literally get me my tail up off the sofa and make yeah. me go outside for a walk yeah. and some days i mean he died in november some days it was you know pretty cold out there but mm. we would go out and walk for at least 20 minutes and what i noticed is exactly what you said yeah i came back and there had been a shift Yeah, i mean i wasn't spinning cartwheels or
1: anything By I any, know, but Yeah, but what you feel like before you start is that there's no possible way I could do this. I can't even get one foot in front of the other. Absolutely. And then, you know, you get one foot in front of the other. Next thing you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you got enough energy to do what you need to do.
2: For renewable resources like what Gary has and what Rita has, go to RitaSchulte.com. That's RitaSchulte.com. Until next week, I'm Richard Petey. And just want you to remember that your mind Staring matters.
3: Stop sign, drive by, on the radio. Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right. It going right.